John. Did, did anybody hear from John down at Pelling? Um, I'm sorry, John. Poor Hood. Poor Hood. John. About him going to Iraq? Oh, no, no, I haven't heard more. No, no, I haven't heard more about him. All right. Okay, uh, take your, uh, we're, we're going to take your Bible and turn over to ch uh, chapter 40 of Isaiah. However, we are going to do something a little different tonight because uh, as we finished up last week, you all asked about the theophanies, and there are a lot of theophanies in Isaiah. So it's appropriate to take your questions and your curiosity and spend about maybe 30 minutes on the theophanies. And day four, if you'll pass out the sheet, have a sheet coming around, and uh, we'll see what that means, the theophanies, and we'll talk about it, because we will have some theophanies in the book of Isaiah. And what the world are you talking about? Well, we'll find out here in a moment. And a sheet is coming around, and uh, I think we have 30 sheets, so it should be one enough one for everybody. Um, and tonight, as the sheet's coming around, uh, when we're through with this study on the Theophanies, we're going to jump back into Isaiah. And chapter 40 of Isaiah, so we're going to pick up uh, chapter 40 to chapter 50, 40 through 50, uh, is the section we'll start into tonight, but apparently we're not going to be able to finish it. I know right now we won't be able to finish it. But this section, chapters 40 through 50, has about four different subjects in it. So if you're a note taker, uh, take this. And by the way, uh, uh, Lisa and I were talking yesterday. Um, you might consider getting a spiral notebook and put your name on it, and you can leave it here, and you can take notes and just leave that spiral notebook here or take it home, and you'll have a notebook to do uh, put the date on it at the, the class or the, the day that we're studying or what we're studying. So I may try to get to six or eight spiral notebooks if you forget it, and then you all can... Uh, take it and uh, put your name on it, and that's where you can take notes. On chapters 40 through 50, there are four subjects, and we're going to look at part of it tonight and then part of it uh, on the next time. Four subjects, if you're a note-taker tonight. Number one, God's sovereignty. He is absolutely in charge of His world. And that's one of the big themes of chapters 40 through 50. Number two uh, subject, the coming millennial reign of Christ. Now, we've already looked at that over and over again in the book of Isaiah. But what's going to happen is the prophet, watch my hand motion up here, he's going to take the sovereignty of God and he's going to link it up with the fact that God is going to have his son come and reign and rule in Jerusalem for 1,000 years, the, the millennial kingdom. Number three, it's a, it's a, it's a brief uh, description, a brief discussion of King Cyrus. King Cyrus now, that will take us back to Isaiah's time. Most of the subjects in this, these chapters are projecting forward, plus God's sovereignty. But we do have a, uh, a chapter or two dealing with King Cyrus. That's, that's subject number three. Subject number four is, uh, uh, well, pardon me, three, three subjects. Those are the main three subjects that uh, we have in this, in this section, chapters 40 through chapter 50. So three subjects, God's sovereignty, the coming millennial reign of Christ, and that's what we're waiting for. And the world will get worse and worse. And then the tribulation, the wrath of God, and you can call it the tribulation or the wrath of God, the seven-year period of tribulation or wrath of God. Now, remember my thesis. My thesis is that that will come because the whole world, the whole the entire world, will have re rebelled and re reacted and rejected God and Christ. And God says, that's it, that's enough. And so His wrath will be poured out upon the world for seven years. Now, before the wrath comes, He's going to do something else. What's He going to do before the wrath comes? <laughs> Duke went this way. He's going to get us out of the way. He's going to get us out of the way. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, is the one who writes the most of the rapture, but Paul had no idea of God's timetable, no idea of the schedule or the plan. All he knew was that that event was going to take place, but Paul did, was not given the when and the, the, the where's and so forth. But uh, it's the Apostle Paul who uh, deals with about uh, 12 of the rapture passages. Uh, James deals with one of them uh, in, in, his, uh, in the book of James. But otherwise, Paul is the one who was revealed, was revealed to him of the rapture of the church. 
So now you've got that sheet. We're going to shift gears now and go backwards. We'll come back to chapters 40 through 50 later on. But look at the sheet we just passed out on the Theophanies. And uh, the Theophanies is dealing with the angel of Jehovah or the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ is the second person of the Trinity. And pre-incarnate means he appeared before he was enfleshed in the, with the birth of, of a birth from his mother Mary. Okay, so he he came in a in a bodily form, i.e., in an angelic form as an angel, but in a, in a body form before he was born in Bethlehem by by Mary. Uh, we call this the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, and or the angel of Jehovah. Now, notice on the sheet, uh, Theophanes comes from two Greek words. Theos is God. And phano, or phano, is to appear. So it's the appearance of God, or that is, would be the, the concerning Christ. It would not be God the Father. It would be the Son, God the Son. God the Father is never seen in that sense, but God the Son would be seen. He would appear uh, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Christ appears as God, or the angel, or the messenger of God. Now, let's go to Exodus chapter 3. And I'm going to go to Exodus 3 first, because this is out of, out of order chronologically. But this is one of the most uh, obvious passages to look at. Exodus 3, starting verse 13. Uh, Moses is in the wilderness, and he sees the burning bush. And we pick up at chapter 3, verse 13. Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel. He saw the burning bush. And I shall say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? What shall I say to the children of Israel? And they say, What's his name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am whom I, whom I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That is the to-be verb. I am, you are, he is, we are, you are, they are. The to-be verb, okay? That's all it is. I just exist, God says. I just am. That's who I am. I'm just, it's just me. I am, and I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. All right, now go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, because we're going to make a connection. In John 8, and with verse 24, John 8, 24. Christ said, I say therefore to you that you shall die in your sins for unless you shall, whoops, that's the right verse, yes, unless you shall believe that I am, that I am, he shall die, or he, and I am he, that is, unless you believe that I am he, but notice that he is not there. It's just unless you believe that I am, that I just am you shall die in your sins. Now go to verse 58. Same chapter, verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And he's quoting directly from Exodus chapter 3. So, who was it speaking to Moses? It was the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity. He is taking upon himself that name and that description, I am. I am. Now go back to Genesis and let's go to the story of Hagar, chapter 16. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 16. Remember the, uh, the handmaiden of Sarah, Hagar. And um, Moses, uh, pardon me, uh, Abraham uh, has Ishmael by her. But look at Hagar. Remember that Sarah was jealous, had Hagar driven out of the camp. And let's pick up at chapter 16 and verse 7. 16.7 Now the angel of the Lord there we go, the angel of the Lord 
found her, Hagar, by spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, the angel of the Lord said, Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, by the way, God does not ask questions for information. He asks questions in order to pull out from the person what's going on inside of them. He, he knows where, where she's going, where she's coming from, so forth. And she said, he said, where, where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to your authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that you shall be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are a child, you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. You shall call his name Ishmael. Uh, then look at verse... Da, 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 da. Whoops, I didn't write it down. Hello. Um, da, da, da. Um, help me, the verse in which the angel of the Lord is God. And I forgot to write the verse down. It's right here in this context. Is it verse 13? Yes, look at verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Got it? She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Wait a minute. The verses before, he's called the angel of Jehovah. Now she, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing Him? God. The angel of Jehovah. The angel of Jehovah is God. It's not God the Father. It's God the Son. It's the only rational, logical thing that you have. And you start with, even though Genesis comes before Exodus, you have the clarity of this in Exodus chapter 3. I am is the name that God the Son takes on himself. But that is also God. I am. I exist. And now Hagar says... I have been speaking to God who sees. He is the angel of Jehovah. Now let's talk about Abraham. Chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. And verses 1 through 9. 18, 1 through 9. Now the Lord appeared to Abram by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Notice it's God coming, God making appearance to Abraham. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, because there are three of them, three, they appear as men, but we know that they're angelic beings before the story is over, uh, that you may refresh yourselves, that you may go on, since you have visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also read, ran to the herd and took a, ten, a, a tender and choice calf, gave it to the servant. He hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. He was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I'm surely, I will surely return to you at this time next year. I will surely return to you at this time next year. One of them is specifically speaking. I will return to you at this time next year. Behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Then Moses and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am old? 
is there, is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you at this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Uh, come down to verses, verses 13. Oh, let's just keep going from 13 to 22. Uh, verse, verse 15. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I, the Lord, am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I, the, uh, God, God, the Lord, I, the Lord, have chosen him in order that he may uh, command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down, I will go down now, and see if they have, if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. He was still, he was still standing before the Lord. Verse 23, Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteousness with the wicked? He continued to talk with the Lord. Now look at verse 27. 27, 26, 26. So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham uh, answered and said, Behold now, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Uh, verse 30, then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, that I, and I shall sp uh, speak. Suppose a 30 are found there in the, in the city. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30, etc., etc., etc. He is speaking to the Lord. This is the angel, the description is the angel of Jehovah. He appeared in fleshly form, and it is Christ. It would not be God the Father who is spirit. It would not be God the Father. Look at verse 33. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. This is a theophany. Look at Genesis chapter 28. Chapter 28. Keep this sheet, by the way, because this is a tough issue, and this will give you all the major, major verses. Go to Genesis 28. 28. And uh, starting at verse 10. 28.10. We read this. Then Jacob, Jacob departed from Beersheba, and he went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with his top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God, plural, were ascending and descending. And above the Lord, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your, to your descendants as well. Uh, he sees God, and it goes on. Uh, God is discussing, and God is talking to him uh, in, the, in the passage. Um, let's go to Joshua. In the book of Joshua, chapter 5. Go to Joshua, chapter 5. And flip, flip, flip. Joshua chapter 5 and verses 13 to 15. Verse 13. It came about when Joshua was, was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? 
And he says, No, rather, I am indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And so Joshua did. You come down to verse 1 of chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out or no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands, etc., etc., etc. The one he is seeing is the captain of the host, but he is God. He is the Lord. Look at Judges chapter 13. Judges 13. And by the way, we have also some passages, some of them are questioned, but in the book of Daniel, we also have some theophanies, possibly in Daniel. But right now, go to chapter 13 of Judges, and verses 15, 13, 15. And we read this, 13, 15. So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She shall not eat anything that comes from the vine, or drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, he said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us uh, detain you so that we may prepare a kid for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, uh, there offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the kid with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. And he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended to the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw that, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord appeared on no more to Manoah or his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. We have seen God. The angel of the Jehovah is God. And each one of these that we've looked at so far in the passages realize that as they talk to this being, they're no longer talking to an angel or a mere man. They're talking to the Lord. They're talking to God. This is the pre-incarnate, the pre-fleshly appearance of God. And it would have to be logic. I don't know of a theologian alive who would not say that logic tells us it is the second person of the Trinity, Christ. He is the only person of the Trinity who has appeared, ever appeared, in, in a bodily form to humanity, that is, with his birth uh, uh, from Mary. So we extrapolate this and go backwards, and again, taking all these passages together, they are speaking, these individuals are speaking to God, and they know it, they realize it, so which person of the Trinity would be the Holy Spirit, would not be God the Father, He is Spirit, no one has seen God the Father, it would only be logically the person of Christ. And I think the main passage, that's why I started with it, would be the Exodus chapter 3 passage. Um, one more passage, I'm not, I'm not wearing you out, but let's go to 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, 1 Chronicles 21. And verses 13 through 17, David, First Chronicles 21, 13. And we read this. David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Please let me fall in the hands of the Lord. For his mercies are very great. Do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. Seventy thousand men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and, and was uh, sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, It is enough now. Relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor 
of, of uh, Arnon and the Jebusite. Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand, standing between earth and heaven with his drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders covered with sackcloth fell on their faces and David said to God, and David said to God, Is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? O Lord my God, please let your hand be against me and my father's threshold, but not against your people that they should be plagued. Then the angel of the Lord, verse 18, commanded Gad to send David, etc., etc., etc. The angel of the Lord is the Lord God. That is, has to be logically and putting all these verses together, it would be the person of Christ. All right, now take the sheet that I've given you, and that's, that's where we get our idea of the, the appearance of God, the theophany, the angel of Jehovah. Look at the sheet I gave you and uh, flip over to Psalm 34. And uh, this has nothing to do with the theophanies in <laughs> Psalm 34. But as I was studying this and had my computer on, I happened to glance down to Psalm 34 and it fascinated me. It has nothing to do with this discussion on the angel Jehovah. But I noticed something on Psalm 34. Look how many times, and I have it listed in the middle of the page on the Theophanies. It tells us what the Lord is doing in Psalm 34. Y'all take this home tonight and take your Bible and this sheet to bed with you and just read this Psalm 34. And look what comes out of Psalm 34. It has nothing to do with our discussion on the Theophanies. Psalm 34, the Lord answers, the Lord delivers, the Lord hears, the Lord saves, and the angel of the Lord encircles those who fear Him. The Lord rescues. The Lord's eyes are on the righteous. The Lord hears. That's the second time it's said it. The Lord hears. The Lord delivers. Second time it's said the Lord delivers. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. The Lord saves. Second time it says He saves. The Lord delivers. The Lord keeps one's bones secure, and the Lord redeems the soul. And I love that one. The Lord, look at verse 22. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants, and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Look at that verse 22. I love that. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants, and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. It has nothing to do with our study tonight. I just noticed, well, what caught my attention of the psalm was the fact of the angel of the Lord mentioned in the psalm. But then I got to looking at all of these references to what the Lord is doing. The Lord is doing this. He's answering. He's delivering. He hears. He saves. He rescues, etc., 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 through Psalm 34. Great little psalm. All right. That's that. So uh, I hope there's any questions on the theophanies. Okay? Yeah, Ron? I have a question. No, no. I have I have a comment on Psalm 34, which has nothing to do with the theology. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> it just so happens, of course, I, as you know, I, I'm teaching through First Peter right now with my men, and, and and Peter uses this in chapter three. He uses uh, four of these verses from Psalm 34 to show that suffering may come to those who do right, but you will be rewarded just the same. You Do you remember which ones they are? Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's verses uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 are quoted by Peter. And that's in First Peter, right? It's in First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Uh, look at that. 12, 13, 14, and 15 are quoted by Peter. Great. This is a great little psalm. I never paid much attention to it before. But uh, that's a great, great psalm. And obviously, Peter thought so also. <laughs> because he quotes, quotes the four verses. All right. Let's go back to Isaiah now, chapter 40. Chapter 40, book of Isaiah. And we're going to be looking at, we're not, certainly not going to finish it tonight. Our time is going to catch us. But we're looking at chapters 40 through chapter 50. 
three subjects, God is absolutely sovereign. He's in charge of His plan and His world. Number two, the coming millennial kingdom. And we have a short reference concerning King uh, uh, Cyrus uh, in the passage as well. So let's start at chapter 40. And uh, we'll begin our study. Chapter 40, Isaiah. Uh, and suddenly, by the way, and, and remember what Isaiah does in this book. He's writing, it's, it's almost like he keeps a diary. Now, now look up here a second. He writes along about events taking place in his time. Then, maybe he got up in the morning and starts over again, and he writes about something in the future. Then he writes about the coming kingdom of, of the Son of God. Um, then he writes about the sovereignty of God and how he deals with the nations. So it's almost like every day or once a week or twice a week, Isaiah sits down and he writes a chapter or he writes a series of verses. And so they're disconnected. It's not, we don't have a chronology from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 66. We have bits and pieces. You put it all together and you have the book of Isaiah. So chapters 40 through 50, we're going to be shifting gears. Look at verse 1. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Comfort, O comfort my people. Let me give you a definition of the word comfort. Uh, it means greatly console, greatly console, or reassure my people, says your God. Reassure my people, or greatly console my people. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare will be ended. This is future, and it has to do with the coming millennial reign. This is future tense. Now you're going to ask me, well, Dr. Couch, it doesn't say future tense. Remember, you've heard me say several times, in the Hebrew language, there is no future tense. It is implied by context. And you can tell by the next few verses that it's future tense. Call out to her that her warfare will be ended, that her iniquity will be removed that she will receive of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. By the way, look back at verse 2. The start of verse 2 says, Speak kindly to Jerusalem. The word kindly literally is used to describe the heart. So you could translate this way. Speak from the heart to Jerusalem. Speak from the heart to Jerusalem and call out to her because her warfare will soon be ended. Now, we're going to do a shift in chapters of 40, verses 3 through 5. Guess what? He's going to project the coming of John the Baptist. Now, look up here a second. Who will herald the first coming of Christ? John the Baptist. Who will herald the second coming of Christ? Elijah. John the Baptist will come before Christ's first coming and introduce him to the nation. Elijah will come and introduce Christ, his kingdom, uh, when he comes to establish his kingdom, Elijah will be the herald of his second coming. Verses 3 through 5 has to do with John the Baptist, the first coming. A voice will be crying out or calling out, Clear the way, the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Please notice, and I think I pointed this out to you before. Clear the way for the Lord. Make smooth the highway for whom? Our God. Now wait a minute. He's talking about the coming of Christ. What does he say of Christ? He's the Lord. What does he say of Christ? He is our God. He is our God. Now what's going on in verse 3? In biblical days, the king often went through his territory, his country, and he would visit the various villages and cities. And uh, they either had a, a wagon that looked like a, a western four-wheel four wagon, or the king was carried on a chair by servants who carried the chair. But what they would do is, oh, the king is going to come next week. We've got to go out and make the, the roads smooth. And so they would go out and knock all the, 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 the rocks off the roads, and they would smooth the roads and fill up the potholes, because the king is going to come. That's what's going on in this passage. Clear the way. Make smooth in the desert a highway for whom? Our God. The Messiah is God. The Messiah is Lord. Verse 4, let every valley be lifted up 
and every mountain and hill be made low. Look, if there's too, if the road is too steep, we're going to level the road because the king is coming. If there are potholes and, and, and the road is too, too dippy, we're going to fill it in, okay? We're going to make it smooth because the king is coming. Let the valleys be lifted up, smooth them over, let the mountains and the hills be made low, that is, knock off the, uh, the hills because they're too steep. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. He is coming. This is, what, this is the message of John the Baptist. He is coming and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. By the way, look at the middle of verse 5. That expression, all flesh, in almost every case is in the Old Testament. When it says flesh or all flesh in this case, it's speaking of the Gentiles, not just the Jews. When he comes, the Jews will be blessed. And guess what? The Gentiles, the flesh, all flesh, will be blessed as well. Now, keep your finger here and take your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Here's where this is mentioned in Matthew 3. This is a great passage. Matthew 3. And we want to start with verse 1 through 12. Matthew 3, verse 1. <clears throat> verse 1 of Matthew 3. Now in those days, John the baptizing one, uh, it's a participle, John the washing one, the one who's going to bab be baptizing. Now what's baptism? I don't want you to get mis mixed up. It has nothing to do with church. This is a washing. And uh, a baptism was normally a dipping uh, they had what they called mikvahot. Mikvahot means ritual mikvah baths. They're about the size of your bathtub at home, only they're deeper. They were about to five foot deep. They had steps that went down into them, and they were they were called mikvahs. And often, in fact, in Jerusalem, they had water that came out of uh, springs in Jerusalem, and that water trickled down from one bath to the next bath to the next. And I mentioned this before. When I first went to Israel, on the south side of the city of Jerusalem at the wall, I always loved to get a, a roasted chicken and a, and a loaf of bread and sit there on the grass, on the grassy knoll at the southern end of the wall and watch the sunset and munch on chicken and, and, and a loaf of bread. Well, one time I went back, it was about a year later, I went back to Israel, and lo and behold, where I used to sit, they had wheelbarrows and shovels and they were digging like crazy at that spot where I had sat. Because they discovered at that spot, which is on the south side of the, of the wall, this whole series of mikvah, the plurals, mikvahot, ritual baths. And the water would come down like a waterfall and go from one bath to the next, to the next, to the next. And people would come up to Jerusalem and be baptized dipped in these mikvah baths and they uncovered all those between all my different trips uh, different trips to Israel. Alright now look at look at chapter 3 verse 1 of Matthew in those days John the baptizing one came proclaiming in the wilderness of Judea huh notice what it said about the one coming uh, uh, almost out in the wilderness make the road smooth and, and the, and the and, and, and smooth, off the, smooth off the hills and fill in the potholes and so forth. Repent, change your mind. Here, here was his message. Change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why is the kingdom of heaven at hand? Because the king was coming. The king was coming. And John is introducing the nation of Israel to the king. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet. There we go, chapter 40 of Isaiah. Saying, The voice of one crying in the desert, in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. The paths of the Lord make them straight, make them smooth, because here comes the king. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair. <laughs> Can you imagine the, the fleas and the gnats that were in that camel's hair coat that he wore? And a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts 
and wild honey. I can always picture little locust feet between his teeth. Um, uh, John was an eccentric. He was an eccentric. And by the way, God made him that way. God made him that way so he would be a rebel. He was a rebel. He was to be a priest, and he could not stand the priesthood up in Jerusalem. He left the city of Jerusalem. He spent time in the wilderness. He wore a camel's clothes. Uh, had a leather belt around his uh, waist. Most belts of people who were fairly well uh, well known was a silk belt or, or one that was uh, woven. He just wore a, a, a leather belt. And out in the wilderness, he ate locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was coming out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, the Jordan River. By the way, the, the, uh, the priest said that you're not to baptize in the Jordan. That was a no-no. Well, guess what? John is going against the priesthood. He is baptizing in the Jordan River. And by the way, all the people from Jerusalem, they came out to hear him. Now, now why? I think that they came for two reasons. One, we'll find that the priesthood from Jerusalem came because they wanted to get something against John. They could not stomach his message. But number two, he brought conviction to the Jewish people. He brought a conviction about sin. Jesus said that that generation was like a was like a was an evil generation. The Jews were terribly evil and sinful uh, at this time, and uh, they were deep into sin. And John was convicting them of their sin. So he said, "You need to change your mind. You need to repent. Why? Because the King is coming. The Lord is coming." And they were being baptized, verse 6, by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. This was a great revival going on. This was a, a Billy Graham revival. The people were, were, were contrite, and John was bringing conviction. There was no conviction up in Jerusalem. It was business as usual. It was religion as usual up in Jerusalem. But here, John was, was, was touching a nerve on their sinfulness. And they were being convicted, and they were coming to confess their sins. And then he would wash them in the Jordan. What's the washing picture? The washing picture is a spiritual cleansing. And so he would dunk them in the Jordan. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, Boy, this would not be popular. You brood of vipers. <laughs> Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? God is going to be wrathful against Jerusalem for their sin. Who warned you? Are you all coming because you are being convicted of sin? Is that why you're coming? And by the way, look who's teaming up together. The Pharisees were the Orthodox. The Sadducees were the Liberals. And like today, who controls most of the church denominations? The liberals. The Sadducees controlled the, uh, the affairs up in, at the temple in Jerusalem. The liberal party controlled the temple up in Jerusalem. Um, the uh, Sadducees were liberal. They did not believe in resurrection. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in uh, the, the main tenets of, Jer of uh, Judaism. The Pharisees were orthodox. Now be careful. You hear people criticize the Pharisees. Well, uh, the Pharisees, uh, they were teaching about this literal kingdom. That's right, they were. And they were correct to teach about the literal kingdom. They were absolutely right. The problem with the Pharisees was not their literal interpretation of the Bible. Jesus never, ever, never, never uh, got on the Pharisees because of their doctrine. He got on the, to the Pharisees because of their of their legalism and their self righteousness. Their legalism and their self righteousness. They were right on target in terms of doctrine. They were the orthodox. Well, look what's happening. They team up, and they they we find them over and over again now in the Gospels coming together and speaking together because they couldn't stand Christ. They could not stomach him. And he says, you brood of vipers. Boy, that took guts. Because <laughs> these men had power. These men had authority up in Jerusalem. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath that's coming. 
And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able to take these stones to raise up to of children to Abraham. Now look at verses 10 through 11. These are very important verses. And 12. Look at this. Jesus said this. The pardon me, John. John the Baptist said this. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. You know what he's saying? Look up here a second. He says, the axe is drawn back. <laughs> the judgment's about to come. The axe is drawn back. If you put the axe against the tree, the axe is going to be swung. The axe is drawn back. It's at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. A judgment is coming, is what John was saying. This generation is facing a judgment, and it's just about here. It's just about here. Why was the judgment about to fall? Because the king was coming, the presentation of the king. Jesus was the king of Israel. He was being presented to the nation. And so the axe is pulled back. It's about to be swung because the people are going to make a choice to accept the king or reject the king. Look at verse 11. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will wash you. He will wash you with the Holy Spirit. Now be careful. And he will wash you with fire. Some people try to make the fire something good. He's not meaning this is good. <laughs> they're, going to be, they're going to be washed by the Spirit of God or with judgment. Fire always represents judgment. It's going to be judgment or it's going to be the Holy Spirit. And which is it going to be? Verse 12. And his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff. There's the fire rep represented. He'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Are you all wheat or are you chaff? And if you're chaff, you're going to reject the king and you will be consumed. That's what he's talking about. Now please notice in verse 12, the winnowing fork. What's the winnowing fork? Well, it looks like a snow shovel. It's a, it's a, it's a big uh, uh, fork that it's about this wide. And uh, I've seen the, uh, the Arabs many times. What they do, they get a flat rock and they take this, this flat rock and, and make sure that it's real flat and even. And they pile the grain on top of this rock. They took this winnowing shovel and tossed the grain into the air. The chaff blows away and the grain falls down. They wait till the next day, it gets more dry. They, they take the, the, the shovel, throw it into the air, the chaff blows away, the grain falls down. And so after three or four days, you have a pile of grain and the chaff is blown off. So what's going to happen is the nation's going to be split. It's going to be divided between the wheat and the chaff. And the chaff is going to be burned up. Okay, The, the, hus the husks will be burned up. So which are you? Israel, which are you? Are you chaff? You individual Jews, are you chaff? Are you the grain? Which is it? Because notice, notice what he says. Uh, the axe is already in his hand. The axe is up against the root of the tree. Now, the winnowing shovel is in his hands. <laughs> He's about to toss the nation of Israel into the air. <laughs> and chaff is going to blow away. And the grain is going to come down. Are you grain? Or are you chaff? Because the chaff, the husks, are going to be consumed and they're going to be burned up. All right, so go back now to, to the passage. Back to Isaiah. Um, look at verse um, 6. 40 verse 6. A voice says, Call out. When he answered, then he answered, What shall I call out? All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. They will be consumed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. 
Get yourself up to a high mountain, O Zion. Now he's talking to Israel. Now in chapter 40, he's speaking to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, i.e. specifically the city of Jerusalem. Get yourself up to a high mountain, O Zion. That's a description of either the Jewish people in general or the city of Jerusalem, O Zion. Bearer of good news, lift up your voice mightily, real loud, shout out loudly, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news, lift the good news up and do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Here comes your God. Who is your God? It is the Lord coming out of the wilderness. Who is heralding the Lord coming out of the wilderness? John the Baptist. John is doing the heralding, if you will. Behold the Lord, verse 10, the Lord God will come with might, with His arm ruling for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense, His return, He's going to make a return, He's going to give a return to the Jewish people, His recompense before Him. Like a shepherd, He will tend His flock, in his arm he'll carry the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. The nursing ewes. Um, now, starting at verse 12, he is in charge. It's the Lord who is in charge. The Lord is in charge. Starting at verse 12, who is in charge? The one coming is the Lord. It is Jesus. And he is absolutely sovereign. The Lord Jesus is in charge. He is sovereign. Look at, look start at verse, verse 12. He is the sovereign God. By the way, we're going to have a series of questions. Look at verses 12 through 31. This whole section is full of questions. It's full of questions. Look at it. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? Who has marked off the heavens by the span? Who has calculated the dust of the earth by the measure? Who has weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Who can, who can, can weigh the, the hills in, in a balance or a scales? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or as His counselor as has informed Him? With whom did God consult? Who gave God understanding? Who taught God in the path of justice and taught Him knowledge? Who informed Him of the way of understanding? I love for verse 15. America, who do you think you are? Russia, who do you think you are? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. <laughs> Turn a bucket up and one drop of water falls out of the bucket. That's the size of the nations to God. A drop in the bucket. And, they, and, and who is regarded as a speck, or they are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales, the balancing scales? Behold, He, God, lifts up the coastlands like fine dust. The word islands is not a good translation. The coastlines is the better idea. The continents, some have translated it as the continents. Behold, He lifts up the continents like they're dust, just a piece of lint. Even Lebanon. Now, Lebanon was to the north of Israel. Look up here a second. That's where you had these great trees, the forests of Lebanon. They're gone now. But uh, in biblical days, you had these massive forests of trees in Lebanon. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn. There's not enough wood. There's not enough beautiful forests in Lebanon to burn. Nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. You can't get enough trees to offer burnt offering to God. You can't get enough forests. That's the size of our God. All the nations, look at 17. The sovereignty of God. All the nations are as nothing before Him. You and I talk about America. We talk about the government of America. We talk about the Constitution. We talk about the Congress. This nation is nothing to God. This country is nothing to God. God is in charge. God, a, a nation is nothing to Him. 
The nations are some, some little group of folks, people. The nations are as nothing before Him. The nations are regarded by Him as less than nothing. How can you get less than nothing? <laughs> Meaningless. America is meaningless to, to God. Now look, God in His sovereignty says, but I'm going, to, I'm going to put my grace on this country. I don't have to. They're like nothing. America's like nothing to me. But I'm going to be gracious to them. But I don't have to be. Because that country is nothing to me. America doesn't, doesn't, uh, America doesn't dictate to God. We're not the ones who are manipulating God. God is manipulating us. God has a plan for us, but we're nothing. We're just, we're just a puny speck to God. Look at verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? All right, if, if God is so big and, and, and the nations are like a, a speck of dust on the balancing scales, then to whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with Him? How can you compare God? Look, if, if, uh, if this is a balancing scale, a part of a balancing scale, and, and uh, America and Russia are just like, watch, little piece of dust. If that's all we are to God, then what can you find that you can compare with God? If that's all that the nations are, we're so small and so puny, God doesn't need us. We don't give Him apoplexy. He's God. He's created the universe. Who will you liken like God? What likeness will you compare with Him? As for the idol, let's talk about idolatry. Let's talk about the idols of the, of the pagan nations. As for the idol, well, a craftsman casts the idol. He, he takes a mold and he'll make a god by pouring in hot metal into this mold. Or he'll carve it out of wood, if you will. As for the idol, a craftsman casts it or with, with gold. A goldsmith plates it with gold. A silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that doesn't rot. Oh, he wants to get a good piece of wood to carve an idol. He seeks out for himself a skilled craftsman to prepare an idol that won't fall over and that won't totter. <laughs> Do you not know? Have you not heard? Look at this. I, I love this. Hey, uh, uh, I want to stop and ask you a question. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Is it he who sits upon the vault or the curve of the earth? Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. <laughs> Guess what we are to God? <laughs> We're like grasshoppers to God. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in? He it is who reduces rulers to nothing. President Obama, I hate to tell you, but in God's here, we're all down here worrying. <laughs> we're all down here in, in uh, you know in consternation, and to God, Obama is nothing like a grasshopper. He's like a grasshopper. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, goodness gracious! Uh, look at verse twenty-three. Uh, he it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But God merely, He blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Ah, now look, the narration now turns from talking about God to now it is God who is speaking. To whom then will you liken me? That I should be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. Look at this. Who has created these stars? The planets, the galaxies. Take a look. Take a look. Who has created them? The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of His might and the strength of His power. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob or Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and the justice do me escapes the notice of my God. God doesn't see us. <laughs> we, can, we can get away with all kinds of things. God doesn't see us. 
Look at 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks might, he increases power. And by the way, he's not, look up here a second, he's not talking just about physical power. Every one of us in this room, we're getting tired, we're getting old, we're slowing down, we have diseases. He's not talking about physical. He's not talking about the physical. He's talking about a spiritual ability and a spiritual power that comes from Him that gives you and I something that the, the lost world cannot comprehend. And it's not just physical. It is not just physical. Look at verse 30. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Again, he's not talking physical. Isaiah would grow old. He would stumble. David would grow old and David would stumble. He's talking about something else. They'll gain, gain, gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And not become weary. Tremendous chapter. Chapter 40 is a tremendous chapter. Let's stop right here and take a break.